every day brings us closer. Closer to the moment when the next generation of NFL stars learn their destiny. And franchises try to lay the foundation for the next dynasty. With the first pick. This is First Draft. Now alongside NFL Draft Insiders Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay, here's Chris Brown. Hit the alarm button. It's Combine Week. We're going to know everybody's height. We're going to know everybody's weight for the first time. Mel's going to completely reshuffle this board. No, probably not. Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay are here. I'm Chris Sproul. NFL Combine kicks off basically today. Uh, guys start testing Friday through the weekend. Guys, let's get right to it. I'm really interested. I mean, we, we wait for this week every year. Todd annually points out, and he's correct to do so, that the medicals are the number one thing that come out of Indy. But we also get to see all these guys next to each other. We didn't get to do that at the Senior Bowl. We're going to see Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson for the first time all together. Mel, I want to start right off the top with the quarterbacks. Right now, you have a top five of Allen, Darnold, Rosen, Mayfield, and Jackson. I want to know, is there anything that could happen this week that could help you reshuffle those guys, or will more have to be done in terms of evaluation? Not a lot, I don't think, is going to happen with quarterbacks at the Combine to change a lot of things there. I think, you know, it's pretty set. It's very deep. When you get to a Chase Litton as the 10th quarterback from Marshall, it's pretty good. It's a really good quarterback group that some teams are going to find a third, fourth-round pick that will start for them and have a very good NFL career. Um, so I think it's going to be a really a lot of fun to see who, you know, selects these quarterbacks, where they land. And the fact of the matter is, I think you got some depth even beyond that. So I think you look at right now the four first-round quarterbacks, and then does the fifth get in the first round? Is it Lamar Jackson, Mason Rudolph? Is Kyle Lalletta from Richmond a second-round pick? Is Luke Falk, in fact, a second-round pick? Uh, and Mike, how many second rounds? Chase Litton end up in the second or third round. How many of these guys ascend? I think those kind of guys, those second, third rounders, Todd, it will be important, particularly Lamar Jackson, uh, to show that he, you know, has the passing skills and the accuracy to be that guy. We know he has the competitiveness, the drive, the athleticism, uh, the height, everything you need. Uh, but does he have the accuracy and the precision passing that you need? I think it's going to be very important for him. Interview obviously for Josh Rose. I think Lamar Jackson is the one you're most interested to see throw the football when the same field with those high draft choices, uh, those high first-round quarterbacks, to see if, in fact, he looks like he stacks up right with them and, in fact, is not a projection to wide receiver maybe two, three years down the road. You haven't shut up for three weeks about Chase Litton. Who called you and told you about Chase Litton? I went. I finally did his tape because I was sick and tired of hearing about Chase Litton in the second round, second, third round. He's, he's good. He's got some ability. Big guy, big arm, <laughs> solid arm, but he... I mean, he's a project. He is a long-term project. You got to work on his his mechanics, and he turns the ball over a lot, and is very careless with, with the football. So I'm, I'm not quite as high on Mr. Litton. I didn't as, say I was. Uh, I didn't say I friend was. Good Kuiper. I didn't say you always like to take what I say and take it to an extreme level to suit your narrative, your false narratives <laughs> that you try to create here at some point. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I saw a couple of that guy in the second, third round, like he's John Elway. You know, it's like he's not, but he's an intriguing guy, and he's got Ashley said. And I, I'm I remember, on to you, Kuiper. I know yeah, what you do. You've, I remember, you, I'm hey, going to invoke my players up your board, drive them up your board just to get some attention, and then you'll uh, you'll bring them back to the pack a little bit later. I know Todd, 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 I got a question for you. Stunts. Uh-huh. Sam Darnold. Not a huge surprise. There's always a couple guys. Sam Darnold 
Our friend Adam Schefter is reporting will not throw in Indy. Todd, do you care? I know this has kind of become normal, but, you know, Sam Darnold, we're interested in that arm action. What do you think? Uh, listen, I know the the appropriate thing to say is, yes, I care and really love to see him compete. I got to see a lot of com- uh, competitiveness and competition out of Sam Darnold throughout his career. And when you, you go back and look and – I know you'd like to see some a few more games, but there's 24 career starts. The guy completed 65% of his throws. He's 20 and four as a starter. If you, if there isn't enough tape of him throwing in game action and throwing against defenses and and throwing with pads on and so on and so forth, then I don't know what else you need. To me, yes, I, you do want to see them compete. It's not the you know, it's not the right narrative to, to put out there right now that it doesn't really matter. But the, at the end of the day, you're drafting him or not drafting him. If you're Cleveland sitting at one, will have nothing to do with whether he threw or decided not to throw at the Indianapolis Combine. And, you know, to Todd's point, Sam's going to have to explain that to teams. I mean, this is where he's going to have these initial uh, interviews, meetings with teams, whether they want to go over. <laughs> We've all heard the stories. All kinds of questions are going to be asked. Um, so he'll he'll definitely hear about it if if teams feel that that shows something. Mel, piggybacking on Todd, what do you think? A lot of guys have not thrown, and it hasn't mattered. No, the pro day. I think when you have a delivery like Darnold, that's not perfect and is not going to be something that I think it will stick out and stand out more when you throw you know with these other quarterbacks that have more like Rosen a, a artistic uh, mechanical approach to throwing the football uh, it'll look a little bit different uh, so I think it, I think it was a smart move on his part myself I don't think you want to go out there and they write talk about look at that delivery oh my gosh look how these other guys snap it and he does <laughs> yeah so I think it's better to just have your individual pro day where people are going to have a comparison on the same field to you know just seconds before you're throwing, somebody else is throwing with a better, you know, more picture perfect, uh, more traditional delivery. So I don't, I don't have a problem with Darnold. I don't think anybody cares. They, they can complain all they want about guys that don't work out, don't test, don't do this at the combine. Uh, yeah, I remember there was a guy when a GM said, "I'm never drafting a guy who doesn't work out at the combine." And the first, well, guess what? The first round came along a few months later, and he drafted a, a player in the first round. That player ended up being a Hall of Famer. So there you go. So they talk tough now, but come draft day, it's not going to matter. I'm trying to think of which Baltimore Colt from 1954 that that was, but I don't know it off the top of my head. <laughs> hey, Todd, we've hit the quarterbacks. I want to know what, you know, the combine every single year. John Ross, yeah, he was probably a first round pick, uh, going into the, in the last year. He will, he solidified it. This happens every single year. Obviously, the medicals matter the most, but if a time pops in a certain area, you know, there's certain positions where three cone is huge for you. Uh, you're looking at the averages over years and years. There's there's certain positions where the 40 matters, certain positions where the broad jump matters. I want to know. Let's look, guys, at the offensive side of the ball. Which guys are we talking about where workouts, stellar workouts, can solidify or really move them up? I want to start at wide receiver where Calvin Ridley is at the top of, I think, both of your boards. But after that, it gets a little bit interesting, whether you like Jordan Lassley or James Washington or Christian Kirk. Of Todd, you can start. Is there one of these guys that can really pop at the combine and solidify first-round status? Or if it's a Ridley or a Kirk who's really unimpressive, could drop out of the first round? Yeah, I, I think Ridley's going to be interesting. I mean, he's an elite route runner, playmaker. He's got good hands. 
Um, but, you know, it, it becomes difficult if you're picking in the top 10, top 15 to take an average size wide receiver if he's running in the four fives or slower. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, it, listen, the, the tape is there and he's a, a really good player. And I think he's going to be a good starter at, at wide receiver in the NFL. And I think he's plug and play ready. But it's going to be, you know, it's an important time for him. If you're Ridley, you really want to run something that's, that begins with 4.4. And if you, you get in the four fours, then, then I think you kind of solidify that spot in the first round. Another guy, very similar situation, James, uh, James Washington from Oklahoma State. Mel, Mel put him in his first round in the mock draft, the most recent mock draft. And some people think he's a first rounder. Others tend to think more of a second rounder. He plays fast, but will he run a fast time? You know, it's tough to take a receiver who's, who's 5'10 and 7 eighths inches, not even 5'11 in the first round if he's not running in the four fours or better and, and perform well. It's not just the 40. It's the, the explosion drills, all the shuttles, and, and so on and so forth. So I think for both of those guys, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, but I, I don't know that there's another receiver. I think you'd have to have an exceptional workout when you talk about the wide receiver group. And I, to me, I just don't know that there's – you know, a lot of people like uh, Cameron Sutton or Cortland Sutton, yeah, sorry, out of uh, SMU, he, because of his size, he's six four, he's two fifteen. He doesn't play like a first rounder consistently, but there's a lot to work with there. And then there's a bunch of guys I think in that second, third, fourth round range that are really close in terms of the evaluation. And it may be some teams are looking for something specifically, uh, and it may also come down to do you know one or two of these guys wind up having great workouts and, and show that they have explosive qualities that that maybe you don't always see on tape. I mean, Equinemius St. Brown's an intriguing guy out of Notre Dame, 6'5", 205 pounds. Auden Tate had some durability issues, but he's another six foot five receiver, 225 pounds. His good tape is really good. I mean, then you get down to some some of the other guys like Jordan Lastly from UCLA, Christian Kirk from Texas A&M. What are those guys going to They're solid size. They're both in that 5'11", 6'1", range, both tightly built but um, and tightly packed. But And playmakers on the field, but are they going to run 4'4s or 4'5s? And there's a big difference between the two. Christian Kirk on tape, it looks explosive at times, but then there's some other times where I'm, I'm not sure if he's a 4'4 guy. And then um, Jordan Lastly, I, I think, can run in the 4-4s, and I think that would help him. So he's got some character issues, but, he, again, his really good tape is is that of a first-round draft pick at wide receiver. Hey, Mel, Todd hit the wide receivers really well there. Nice work, Todd. What Thanks, about buddy. the running backs? Can it be Darius Guys? Could it be Sony Michelle? Could it be Ronald Jones? Which one of these guys, yes, we know Saquon Barkley's show is going to arrive in the top ten. Which one of these guys can run their way, can jump their way, can do anything to get their way into the late first round? You see it? Well, I think two of them are, are have a great chance. It's, it's Geis and, and certainly uh, Jones, uh, the second. I think those those two kids played like first rounders. Uh, Sony Michelle has the the firm up ball security a bit, uh, but he showed late in the year he was playing better than Nick Chubb, his teammate, who came into the year with a higher grade. Uh, I think Rashad Penny uh, had a phenomenal season, and then a good Senior Bowl game. How does he test to become a late one, early two? Probably more of an early to mid two, but there are some to hint late one. I've never bought into that for Penny, but I have heard. That the guy that I think you're most interested to see run and test 
because the guys that have versatility in this league, uh, we were talking before the show, you, uh, Chris, you love Jalen Samuels from NC State. Well, there's another NC State player. He's my player. number one pick in the draft. Yeah, he's a, he's probably a, maybe a second, third round guy, but I think you look at Nigel no. Hines. Samuels <laughs> could very easily be a second or third round pick. Come on, Mel. Where are you going to play him? <laughs> Where's Charles Clay play? You know, how do, those kind of guys. You talk about Samuels' versatility and matchup advantages he can create and put him anywhere. Uh, I think in this league now, Todd, you're talking McShay, of all people, is talking like it's 1985. <laughs> I'm amazed, okay? I'm usually the one that talks like it's 1985, and in this case with Jalen Samuels, Todd McShay Todd, I is. formation McShay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, oh, it's like, hey, geez. it's standard pro set McShay. Yeah, okay? let's, let's uh, take a fullback in the second yeah, round. Personnel McShay. Yeah, 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 but to, to get back to, let's, let's reel it back in. Naheem Hines from NC State, you know, punt return, kick return, catching, running, track guy. Uh, you know, you look for those third, fourth round, and McShay will probably say sixth round for Hines. I'm saying third or fourth <laughs> he round if he runs well. And it seemed like those Wolfpack players on the offensive side too much. But I think you look at Ed Hines as an interesting – Mark Walton – you know, had the injury, medical, obviously all these guys that had any type of injury will be very important. I'm not going to steal McShay's guy. He's been talking about Carry very positively Johnson. about an Auburn Tiger, Carryon Johnson, over the last month or so. I can see McShay's a big fan of Carryon Johnson. But I think those those are the guys there that, that are intrigued. Just to go back to, I would go back to wide receiver and just to piggyback what Todd said, two guys that had good senior bowl weeks, can you carry momentum from senior bowl week to the combine, to pro day, to the draft, would be DJ Chark from LSU and Deshaun. Mm-hmm. Hamilton from Penn State. I think are two interesting guys. And you didn't mention uh, my guy from Maryland. I will, DJ Moore. And more Todd watches him on tape. I think you'll hear more McShay talking up. You're actually DJ watching him Moore. right now against Wisconsin, Mel. It's, it's right now as we speak. 12th. Okay. Well, I, I, I paused it and so we could do this podcast. There's nothing more meta than McShay play watching 12. Maryland guys while Mel talks about them on this podcast. Yeah, that's interesting. And I also think that Jordan Lastly from UCLA had on talent. And if he does test great, You're number go two back. receiver right now. Well, yeah, and who else are you going to put in wow. there? I just want to know talent, and I want to see how he interviews. And Todd thinks he's th- an eighth-round pick. He may. Not even eight rounds. Um, yeah, due diligence is the word you'll Second hear a lot round. from from the, you know, you want to throw out cliche talk about due diligence they have to do on different players. On, on Jordan Lastly, that's the case. But I think you watched him play this year, and you had to be amazed and impressed about how he stepped up and had a career year. So I think people are going to go back to the drawing board on him, and they will have to even more so if he has a great combine. Todd, real quick, when we hit these uh, offensive linemen, the workouts matter. I remember Lane Johnson running like four seven nine. That really helped him pop. Is there a guy when you're looking at the offensive linemen where you actually do think beyond the tape, the workout times could really help one of these guys? Whether it's a Colton Miller solidifying status out of UCLA. I don't know if Quentin Nelson needs to do anything else, but maybe even a Billy Price or a James Daniels, one of these guys where you like a bit of mobility out of the position. Who do you see on the offensive line side that you think, kill it in Indy, you're thinking first round? Well, James Daniels from Iowa, I think he's the best center in the class. The thing that you have to factor in, though, and we're going to find out. You know, these underclassmen, there's 119 underclassmen in this draft that we've never even gotten an official height and weight on. Right. And so, let alone a 40 or anything else. So, with, with James Daniels being an underclassman from Iowa – He's reportedly around 285. I mean, that's his listed, his listed weight is 285 at six foot four. Now, what is he really? 
Is he closer to 300, which is encouraging? I think for zone blocking heavy, you know, type schemed offenses that, that Daniels is a fit. If you're looking to be more of a, a power physical team, I think Billy Price is a fit. For Daniels, the big thing though is going to be his knee injuries that he's had. So his medical report, when we get the, the medicals and then the recheck that they'll have in early April, uh, will be really important for, for Daniels to see if he can solidify himself as a top 20, top 25 pick and, and, Maybe potentially the the first center off the the board. Then I think another guy that's going to be interesting is Connor Williams from Texas. I mean, you go back and look at his 2016 tape. I thought he was the best offensive lineman in this class, best offensive tackle at least. Um, and then this year his tape wasn't as good, and he has the injury and misses the majority of the season. Sits out the bowl game to to get healthy and and prepare for this for the combine for all the the pre draft process and. Williams, I think, needs to show up. He needs to interview well. He needs to pass the medicals, and he needs to put up some of those elite numbers that you were talking about, the explosion numbers, and and show that he has some more lower body strength and and ability to to drive guys off the off the line of scrimmage, and then maybe his tape showed because. It's really tough to evaluate him with the inconsistent tape that he had, and knowing that he didn't play much of this past year. Guys, let's jump to the defensive side of the ball. Mel, the big question, obviously, is which pass rusher asserts himself behind Bradley Chubb? Bradley Chubb's going to have to do something wrong or get nicked up somehow to, I think, not be the first pass rusher off the board. From there, we have Marcus Davenport. We have Rasheem Green. We have Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis. Um, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, obviously, a versatile guy. Harold Landry, Lorenzo Carter, uh, Nwosu out of USC, who jumps up and solidifies himself as maybe a top 15 guy behind Bradley Chubb if it works out well in Indy? Well, the only one guy that could is Marcus Davenport, and I think he should be. Nobody else can 15. just blow up, you don't think? No, I don't think in the top 15 as okay. far as the defensive end group. I don't see, I don't think Landry, well, he didn't play well enough this year. Uh, he didn't make enough plays. He wasn't disruptive enough. He didn't build one two years ago. So I don't think Landry will be. I think if there's a guy that's going to jump into the late first, Based on the combine, it's Lorenzo Carter from Georgia. Uh, if he tests off the charts, and I think the key number for him, Todd, will be four five five. If you go lower than four five five, he could get into the late first round discussion. You know, higher than four five five, then probably a two. So I think a lot on the line for Lorenzo Carter from Georgia. The way Mel Tucker used him at Georgia, obviously now people will be looking at that length that wingspan, and then that speed and athleticism and maybe put him in there. And there's a lot of other guys he's competing with. Nwosu from USC, Okoronkwo from Oklahoma, Ture from Rutgers, Van Der Esch, Boise State. There's a lot of guys that he's in that mix with, that he could go ahead of those guys uh, with a great combine. I think you look at the defensive end group, a 3-4 guy who, who has some versatility and played well at the senior bowl and was a highly rated guy coming out of high school. In fact, here's a kid when he came out of high school, wasn't far behind Miles Garrett. Was it was right up there in the top five overall players at any position, and then you know his solid career uh, kind of goes a little quietly under the radar, and then at the senior bowl he gets that big bump, and can he build? That's Andrew Brown from Virginia. So uh, you yeah, know, remember Mike London recruited the Andrew Brown and Quinn Blanding, and that was going to be the cornerstone guys that were going to be the foundation of a of an elite team. And it took obviously until this year when it all came together a little bit more for Virginia, but for Andrew Brown, I think is it a second, third round possibility for Andrew Brown? I think it is. Hey Todd, on the mm-hmm. pass rushers, on the on the guys coming off the edge, can you give a real quick primer 
on uh, why you wear your lab coat and you have your you have your uh, stopwatch out on the ten on that initial ten yard split that you look for in pass rushes and why that matters so much and really what you're looking for and who's aced it in the past. Yeah, it's usually uh, one six if I, off the top of my head. One six zero is is the number for the first ten, which obviously there's correlation because it is the, the first you know the explosive step getting off the line of scrimmage. Um, you, you'd like that number to be under one point six zero, but it's interesting too. At the forty yard dash, if you go and study over time, there's been just as much correlation with NFL success from the forty as there as there has been from the um, the ten yard split and that you know Mel was right on you know four five five if you're an undersized guy if you're if you're your, your average four three defensive end and you under four six is is the number you really want and um, and there's some there's some correlation with the with the vertical jump as well outstanding numbers thirty seven and a half inches over that not to get too nerdy and all that but yep. there listen I, you know all Little these numbers luck. come out. Yeah, exactly. All these numbers come out, and it can be kind of dizzying at times. And the first thing you have to do is keep reminding yourself, these are just workout numbers, you know. But there there are some things to gleam, and for each position, there are spe- specific areas and tests that are more important over years and years of studying the history of it. You know, like for vertical jump, running back, receiver, tight end, defensive tackle, and defensive end are the, have the most correlation with success. Yeah, not uh, broad jump. Up. Yeah, not, not get wrapped yeah. up, Todd, in that 40 uh, as much with some of these positions. And you talk about broad jump. Uh, last year, Alvin Kamara had an incredible, was it like a 10-11 broad jump, Todd? Kamara did? Yeah. He had, he had a, like a 39 and a half vertical. Uh, I think vertical, broad jump, all the explosive tests that you look at are more as important, probably more important than that straight line 40 speed and how you break down that 40. And as you said, the first 10 yards. But uh, expo- you'll hear the word explosion a lot, and I think that's what people are looking for. Kamara, as I remember, Todd, didn't have a great 40. It was 10-11. 10 11 broad. He, uh, like a 39 and a half vertical, I think it was. 39 uh, and a half inch vertical. It did I not run. His 40 time wasn't great. No, it wasn't. But uh, 36 and a half vertical for Kareem Hunt. Kamara had a 39 and a half inch vertical. And I thought it was McCaffrey. McCaffrey had a yeah, 37 had a, yeah. and a half. Those mm-hmm. were three of like the top four yeah. vertical jumps of the running back position. And it turns out that those are three of the most yeah. productive rookie uh, running backs. Yeah, Kamara wasn't the 4-4 four, four guy. He was in the 4-5. So no, 4-5-3. Yeah, so to me, it's not about the straight line. I remember Alexander Wright had a great 40 time, wasn't a great receiver. Jerry Rice had a, a very slow 40 time, was a Hall of Fame receiver. So explosiveness, getting in and out cuts, make people miss, stop one at a time. All the explosive tests uh, will be more important than that one that we kind of all, what's this 40 time? In some cases, who the heck cares? Guys, couple minutes real quick. I wanted to wrap up the back end of the defense, who you're looking for that could pop into the first round. We know from the cornerbacks, Denzel Ward out of Ohio State, Josh Jackson out of Iowa, Mike Hughes out of Central Florida, almost certainly first-round picks, barring something going wrong. Todd, who else from the corners is, can jump in? This is where the 40 time does matter. Yeah. I think no position is it more important than cornerback. You Go back and look. I mean, the, the top corners drafted recently and, and mostly played at a high level. They have to hit there, yeah. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore ran a 4-3-6. Marlon Humphrey ran a 4-4-1. Adoree Jackson ran a 4-3-8. Jalen Ramsey ran a 4-4-1. You get the point. I mean, that's it, it shows you how important speed is at that position. I think this year, when, when you look at it, for me, you mentioned Josh Jackson from Iowa. He's a big one because... You know, he, we know he's got playmaking speed. 
We know he's long, or playmaking ability, sorry, ball skills and, and does a great job when the ball's in the air. Uh, we know he's got the length that you look for, but does he run that in that 4-4 range? I mean, for him, it could cost him, I don't want to be dramatic, but literally millions of dollars between running a 4-4-5 and a 4-5-5. I mean, that could, that could take him from pick 15, which I don't have the chart in front of me, it's somewhere in like the 5th, 12, 15 million dollar range. Guaranteed money down to pick twenty five thirty, which is a drop off and you know handful of million of dollars, millions of dollars over his rookie contract. So it's going to be really important for these corners to run to run well. I think Josh Jackson is the first one that jumps out as someone that I, I'm concerned for. You know, you hope he goes out and has a, a good one because I just can't tell his true top speed on tape. Um, from everything I know, my cues from UCF should run well. I think it's going to be interesting when, with uh, MJ Stewart from North Carolina. He's another guy that doesn't have great size. He needs to run well. J.R. Um, Alexander from, from Louisville is 5'11", 190, but he's supposed to run really well. He looks like he runs well on tape. So some of these guys, Chris Campbell is a you know, good-sized cornerback out of Penn State. What's his top-end speed? It's going to be really interesting to see this group because I, I think cornerback is a lot – stronger this year than maybe the the impression is I think there's a lot of good corners getting all the way down to like Anthony Averett from Alabama and uh, Nick Nelson from Wisconsin Holton Hill from Texas and there's some guys in the mid rounds that can play and this is going to separate some of those guys with their ability to to run and, and put up big numbers the only senior of that group is MJ Stewart. Anthony Averett would be another. Everybody else is an underclassman of that, that top group. And if you go to the mm-hmm. top, say, nine, there's only one senior. So that's eight of the top nine corners are underclassmen. I think the word you'll hear a lot about after the combine, during the combine, top of corners. And it's important at, at, at wide receiver. It's certainly important at offensive tackle and defensive end. You talk about how important explosive tests are, like the, the, the broad jump, the vertical jump. And obviously you look at other things along the way positionally. But I think arm length. We're going to hear a lot about how, how much length do they have, how long are their arms. And short arm guys just don't make it big in this league. There's exceptions. But if you look at the pass rushers and the receivers with that catch radius, you'll hear all these catch radius, and you'll hear all this, there are these different terms. But for wide receivers, when you're, you know, when your receiver's even, he's leaving. Well, for a cornerback, the way to make up ground, he said the 40 time is important because you're down the field past 40 yards a lot. And if you're going to make up ground quickly, the arm length is going to help you. If you short arm got corners, are going to have a little trouble in that area. So the length of the cornerback arms, and we talk about wingspan, that's why it's important. So I think we'll see. Jair Alexander, you mentioned him, Todd, at a little, was the most interesting of the underclassmen because he had an injury. He had sprained knee against Purdue, I believe, with the first game of the year. He missed all that time, comes back late. You know, here's a guy with competitiveness. Uh, he's incredible with the ball in his hands. And I always talk about interceptions. If you don't get one when it's an opportunity, it's a turnover against you. And once you get one, can you become a great returner like Deion Sanders and, and take it the length? And he can. He's got to get stronger. But as a cover guy with ball skills and punt return ability, had a, I think it was the Florida State game a couple years ago, Todd. He had a great electric punt return. So I think you look at a mm-hmm. kid. He, you know, he's one of those energetic, kind of outspoken, typical corner. He's got all that. That. He brings life and energy to a defense, but he didn't play much this year, and he had the injury. So he's the kind of guy, I would say, off the radar, because NFL people are going to know him. They're studying but I think Jair Alexander, if he tests great, you talk about combine pro day, and get some momentum, people go back and look at two years ago and, and, and look at the versatility. I think Jair Alexander could pop from the underclassmen group and get into, I'm not going to say late first automatically, but he's, he's not going to go worse than, say, pick 45-50. Mel, thank you for wrapping up the defenders. Mel, you're my arm length. 
37 inches. <laughs> just a half inch longer than DJ Fluker. Guys, we hit the combine. We are going to hit the black and blue division, the NFC North, Bears, Packers, Lions, Vikings after the break. The Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears need a wide receiver uh, because they don't really have any. And we don't know what Kevin White health status is going to be. It's been an issue since he arrived in the league. Beyond that, Marcus Wheaton, Josh Bellamy, Kendall Wright. Who's going to be around? You get into Cameron Meredith, Dontrell. Todd, I'm, I'm listing a bunch of guys that aren't a number one wide receiver. The problem is the Bears are one of those classic teams where they have an obvious need, but they're at a spot in the draft order where it might not be so obvious that there's a guy they can take. We talked about Calvin Ridley maybe running really fast. I don't know if he can run fast enough to get into the number eight spot. Todd, what do you think the Bears should be doing that early? Maybe it's trade down. Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, that that always sounds nice and gotta Kuiper have a dance bells and, I know. Yeah, exactly. But um, sound like Kuiper. You know, it, it, just just trade down. It's, fr- it's frustrating when you look at you know <laughs> between the offensive line going back to even Kyle Long first round. They in 2015, Kevin White at wide receiver, the, the third round pick on uh, Grassu, the, the center from Oregon. 2016, they went defense first, but then they went with Cody Whitehair at guard. So you, you would think over, with all those picks, their offensive line would be a, a lot better than it has been. They Shaheen, the tight end, uh, Adam Shaheen from from Ashland last year. So that, that's two guys that could be pass catchers for you in the last few drafts, and yet they're still. I, I would argue, Mel one of the worst teams in the league in terms of their pass catching group right now. And so, you know, what I'm thinking second, third round is where you, you go and, and look for wide receiver and hope you hit there because I just don't know with Ridley you're getting the value at eight, even though I gave him to him in the, the recent mock draft. I don't know. If he goes and runs unbelievably and maybe that'll help him and you feel better about it. But I, I think Denzel Ward at corner would be a, a possibility there. Just sit back and, and see see how it all plays out and see if there's still a quarterback available too at that point at number eight, which is a real possibility. And now you get the Dolphins at 11, uh, the Cardinals at 15. We've talked about the Bills 21 and 22. Maybe that you get some interest to to move out of that spot at number eight if the Bucks already didn't make a move for a team going up for a quarterback. Yeah, I think you talk about the Bears, and, and Ridley is an interesting guy because if he gets down to that 15, 16 spot, which I think he could, you know, who is the next receiver? Is there even one that's forced into the first? I think there will be somebody, but the Bears have to get help at that spot. Mitchell Trubisky needs weapons. Uh, they had opportunities even when Mike Glennon was in there to beat the Atlanta Falcons in the opening week of the season, and there was a drop in the end zone, or they win that game. They beat Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons the, uh, you know, for the Bears. And Trubisky, obviously, you look at that completion percentage, you add a few uh, you know, points if he would have had guys catch the football when he delivered accurate strikes. So I think wide receiver they will address. There's interesting. A couple guys weren't even invited to the combine, Todd, that have a chance to be third, fourth round picks at wide receiver. We'll talk about them. I'll tease that for next week. But I think you look at linebacker. Tremaine Edmonds I gave them because he can do a lot. He can play an inside-outside guy, rush the pass or cover. Highly productive, highly athletic, physically gifted, bloodlines, all that. His father played in the NFL. Uh, his brother is going to be in the NFL as a safety probably uh, right after he comes off the board sometimes second, third round. So I think you look at the Bears, linebacker like Edmonds, cornerback, if you want Ward, fine. Wide receiver, I don't think so at eight. But I think Tremaine Edmonds at some point in the top eight is going to come off the board. I got him down to eight to the Bears. He ain't going to get past there. Uh, he's too good an athlete. He's too versatile. And for today's NFL, with his length, he, and we see what Zach Cunningham did in the second round to the Houston Texans, he's going to go a lot higher. He's, like I said, he's going to be a top ten pick, and the Bears could use him. 
Todd, capping the Bears uh, at, at a certain position. I see a Deion Sims, maybe Zach Miller still around. Adam Shaheen, a player, I don't know about the ceiling. Young quarterback's best friend can be a really good tight end uh, on the intermediate stuff. Is there somebody you see that could be around maybe in round two? Because obviously the way this board sets up number eight, that's too rich for any of these guys. Yeah, I, I think that the plan is for Shaheen to be that guy. I mean, you don't you spend a second-round round pick on a tight end if – if you don't think he can be the guy, and so I, I'm not sure, maybe a little bit later, right in the in the draft they'll they'll look after going and try to get one. I mean, there it turned out to be a pretty decent tight end class. I don't know that there's out. In my opinion, I think Dallas Goddard has a chance from South Dakota State to be a complete, very good starter in the league. After that, I think there are some good players, some really good players, but they're second-tier type guys. Hayden Hurst from South Carolina is probably going to be a second-rounder. Mike Gisecki from um, from Penn State is probably going to be a second-rounder. Mark Andrews, Ian Thomas from Indiana, Ryan Izzo, Florida State. There's a bunch of guys, uh, Troy Fumagalli from Wisconsin, Jordan Akins from UCF. All the last four guys I mentioned are probably in that third, fourth round range. So there's some depth to this class. I just don't know after spending a second round pick last year that you're going to wind up spending another second round pick or first or second round pick on on the same position. The Green Bay Packers. They're going to get Aaron Rodgers back. Uh, Jordy Nelson should be around. A healthy Randall Cobb would be nice. Devontae Adams. Um, some some. Mainstays on the offensive line will return in Green Bay. Again, it's all about Rodgers on offense. Mel, the defense fell off a bit last year. Is there enough pass rush here? Is that where Green Bay should be looking? I mean, what stands out to you? Green Bay picking earlier than they usually do. Obviously, the Rodgers injury was a part of that. But coming off a 7-9 year, defense was a problem. What do you think? I think it was a huge problem, and I think the, the pass rusher is going to be possibly there in Marcus Davenport uh, from Texas San Antonio, the Roadrunners. And uh, here's a kid that yeah, I would say, Todd, a little boomer bust, because if you think he's a guaranteed top 15 pick and even you could argue top 10 type athletic talent, and he comes into the NFL with his skill set, you would expect him to be a guy who can get you a significant number of sacks and be a, a lead guy getting off the edge. Yeah, if he doesn't, and there's some people that wonder, I mean, he did not, uh, the senior bowl didn't help him. And I think you look at where he can be after these next two months. Uh, yeah, he could be solidly in the top 15. What's going to help him is good luck trying to find guaranteed pass rushers. And he's going to look good. I think people are going to look at him and say, boy, you know, is there maybe something missing? We'll see. I think next two months, they're going to do a lot of work on Davenport. I think he'll be there possibly. I gave him though the Green Bay Packers in Mach 1 and Mach 2. And that's their biggest need. And if you don't find a guy like that there's an interesting kid chris Sproul's a big washington state fan hercules modifa is a is a good football player they moved him around. he played everywhere and he, he was mm-hmm. productive played inside he, at about two i mean it's amazing how they utilize yeah. him and uh he's the kind of kid Not you that get I into watched. that third third fourth round mix uh chad thomas if he can ever just be consistent from miami of florida has shown flashes and i think the most intriguing guy todd and I don't know where you, you know, Todd does a mock the day after the draft, and then he does another one in December before Christmas. <laughs> so it's amazing how early he is with these mocks. But hey, they, they get the big numbers, Both and people, people crave them, and everybody wants them, and I look forward to them. I get on McShay every time. We're getting that out, Todd. But, hey, Todd, Todd, you're going to get that out? When, when, we'll, come on, let's start working on it. And go back, and we go back to your one after the draft. Go back, to your, go, back, go back to your Christmas one. Where was Arden Key then, and where is Arden Key from LSU now? I can tell you now, 
that he is not in the first round. Right. I mean, he, here's the thing with Arden Key. Let's, let's just ble- be blunt. He, there's a, very much a concern that there's a dependency issue there with marijuana. And he had to take some time away, work on his, his life in the offseason, come back, comes back, had an injury, had another injury with the finger this year, and just was not the same player. So, you know, very different in terms of the projection, because I loved his tape in 2016. Mm-hmm. And, and did this obviously, even after watching the tape, but, but not knowing completely the story, what was going on. But then you find out that he's, you know, he's dealing with some issues. So to answer your question, I had Arden Key at number nine overall to the Jets. And now I would say best guess is that he'd go somewhere in the second round, but he's, he's got to have a big week. He needs, he has some things to answer. They, he needs to, uh, he needs to pass the, 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 the test and, and not be one of those guys that every year we see a few guys that the, uh, the double D failures, as I've called them, that, you know, dependent or dumb. And so Arden Key needs to, to pass the drug test. He needs to pass the, the exams in terms of the, just the interviews and, and being honest with people. And then he needs to go out and he needs to put up numbers that are representative of, of an elite talent like you see on tape sometimes in 2016. Yeah, third round is not out of the realm of possibility. And where did mm-hmm. another former LSU Bayou Bengal honey badger, where did Tyron Matthew go in the draft, huh? I believe third round. Third, yeah, third round. Then. The Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions have the bearded presence of Matt Patricia now on the sideline. How does that affect their defensive personnel? I don't know yet. Um, we don't know if the, if Matt's making any calls there with Bob Quinn running the point on on uh, on the draft and the, as the GM. The question obviously is: Is Ziggy Ansa back? There's a there's a big suspicion, guys, that that is a franchise situation because there's just such a significant drop off. If Ziggy Ansa is not there. Is Anthony Zettel suddenly your best pass rusher? That's kind of a scary reality. So at 19, um, like some other teams, like the Packers we just talked about, the Lions could be looking at a pass rush. Uh, they did a lot to shore up the offensive line in recent years. They like Taylor Decker at left tackle if he's healthy. Um, could it be more weapons for Matthew Stafford? Could it be somebody to to shore up the tight end position where Eric Ebron isn't promised beyond this year? Who knows? Todd, as you look at this situation, there's a lot of good players on this team. I don't know how many great players there are, but it's got to be a team that feels like they're a couple pieces away from playoffs. What do you see? Yeah, I, I see a team that needs to to find a run game to balance things on offense, and I see a team defensively that's very average across the board. I mean, you look at all the the number; they were really good in takeaways, and I think right. that 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 was a that helped them last year. Obviously, they're third in the NFL, but they're you just go down to like points per drive, sixteenth, third down, fifteenth, um, red zone, 29th, which is their worst area. Goal to go, sixteenth. Everything's some like thirteen to twenty in that range. So, to me, when you look at it defensively, I think they need another pass rusher up front, and I think. They also need a linebacker, a guy that can cover, and probably another safety. But on the offensive side, I, I, they've got to figure out that run game, as I mentioned. And I think they, while they, yes, they have done some things in free agency. The two pickups in, in free agency in 2017 with um, TJ Lang and Rick Wagner. And then Taylor Decker, he missed the first eight games we talked about last year. But I think that they could start to bring in more young offensive linemen and, and try to build the back end. And maybe, who knows, if you hit on one and you get a, a good starter, that that's an area to go. But I, I think the kind of the middle of the defense and then 
shoring up the run game, whether it's the offensive line or, or running back for them. Yeah, I would say running back, Todd. they got to get Stafford a running back. Uh, they, Theo Riddick, give him a lot of credit, great receiver out of the backfield. They've tried that. Remember, Zenner gave him some some production. They've had different pieces along the way that try to fill into that role. But get a complete back and, and get the, that, that running game going to complement what Stafford does in the passing game, which has put up huge numbers every week. So I think a guy like Darius Geis from LSU, a Ronald Jones the second from USC, uh, would be two running backs after Barkley. They're going to come off the board. They're going to be your next two running backs coming off the board. And uh, are they good? enough to be the first-round picks. We'll find out over the next three to five weeks with the combine and pro days being important. But I think the Lions got to get a running back, whether it's one of those two or somebody, to help out Matthew Stafford and get that just, running game to a level it needs to be. Mel, do you still see- can't believe that uh, that Abdullah, Amir Abdullah, didn't, hasn't panned out. It, so frustrating because I, I really thought that second-round pick in, in 2015, mm-hmm. when they took him 54 overall, I thought he was a steal. And I, I thought that they had finally you know, addressed that position with a difference maker. And he just – Injuries and and just inconsistent play has not been in fumbling too. hasn't been able to protect the football. Just really frustrating. Fumbling issues were a concern uh, going into that draft. Mel, cap this off. Do you think they have Marvin Jones, maybe one of the more underrated wide receivers in the league, certainly in terms Mm -hmm. of just what he does through contact? Kenny Galladay flashed when he was healthy last year, had the hammy, Golden Tate, do you feel good about the the wide receiver situation here? Obviously, Eric Ebron will be back for another year. Ebron he became more consistent. He's had some drops during his career, which has plagued him. He became more consistent. Stafford trusted him more as the year went along. Galladay showed flashes early and had come on, and he uh, you know, kind of backed off a bit. Uh, but I think you look at that's kind of right now more of a luxury-type thing early right. on. I think you can, you have to address those. If you're saying the priority, the priority's got to be a running back, and it's got to be a pass rusher. Now, will Davenport be there at 20? Maybe, uh, but I don't think so. And Not in the last mock, first two mocks. I didn't have him get There's no other defense defensive end to consider at that point so you can't force that but uh, i think they'll address those spots but i don't think in round one the minnesota vikings particularly on the defensive side of the ball and certainly with some steals on the offensive side of the ball stefan dig stands out todd the minnesota vikings and the and where they were given all the uncertainty at quarterback really speaks to some great drafting in recent years a couple years ago you know, when you had Eric Kendricks, Daniel Hunter, um, you know, all these guys out on the field as rookies playing really well. Speaks to some really good job they've done in terms of scouting and player development. That's a really good defense. I, obviously, I think they're kind of out of the picture in terms of quarterback, depending on what happens with Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater, who could be set free. Sam Bradford, obviously. Um they have running backs, that, or at least one that they like if Dalvin Cook is back healthy. It, it seems like this is a team that's set up to, to take a best player available type because of they have a lot of good things going here. What, what stands out to you? And when you've done mocks, Todd, what have you thought about with the Vikings? I thought about this. You could argue this is the best roster top to bottom in the NFL. I mean, them, I High would praise. say the Eagles, the Jaguars are three of the, the best – I'm talking complete rosters. Obviously, the Patriots right. are among the elite teams, but Brady elevates a lot of those players on that team. But, I mean, you just you look at the consistency across the board on both sides of the ball and the improvement they made defensively a year ago. It, it, really amazing. In the last – like, you go back – I saw an interesting breakdown from 2013 
with um, defensively how, how good they've gotten and how much improvement. They were 32nd in points allowed, now they're first. And they went from 32nd to 11th to 5th, 6th, and 1st. 31st in yards allowed to 14th to 13th to 3rd to 1st. I mean, they've gotten so much better on that side of the ball. I mean, I, I know it's cliche. I do think I think, think this is a team that sits there at 30, and I don't know that you try to package picks and move up and target anything. I, I think if an offensive lineman is there, I think that that it's uh, it would make sense. Yeah. You know, like a, a Mike McGlinchey type is, is a guy that I've given to him in a mock draft. But I, I think they can go in any number of directions with this this pick. Dalvin Cook obviously comes back at running back. They, you could add maybe a little bit of depth there. But the, even with the guys that that they have a, that are keys on the defensive side, like Xavier Rhodes, Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph, Harrison Smith, they're all locked up through twenty twenty two. Right. So well, they, like the Eagles. I mean. Spiel, Rick Spielman has done a phenomenal job, and once they got the quarterback situation figured out, it, it really solidified things. And then it turns out that they want really potentially could have three, and now have to figure out how to how to best handle that situation. Yeah, I'd say phenomenal job when you win a Super Bowl. I wouldn't say phenomenal until you do that. He's in an outstanding job, Tough very good here. job. Yeah, phenomenal is the set for Super Bowl winners. <laughs> uh, get the one first, and then win I mean, one, we. we we we'll yeah. get to the the championship game with a third string quarterback. That's all right. That's all right. That's the, that, hey, nobody was talking about it then, you know. And Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl for the Baltimore Ravens, so uh, it's happened uh, before. Uh, in terms of Case, Ke- in, in terms of Case Keenum, he had his arm hit when that. You're ninety out of the last ninety podcasts of bringing up Trent Dilfer yeah. and the Baltimore Ravens. He just threw that little glory ball out there for me. I got to hit it out of the park, Todd. Well, you mentioned Case Keenum as being a problem, and uh, that's the reason why. They, all of a sudden, Case Keenum, why did it? Ah, they got there, Case Keenum. Oh, 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 Case Keenum. You know, terrible. Uh, Case Keenum had his arm hit when that's pick six. Everybody goes back to that game. It was a seven nothing eagle lead when Case Keenum threw a touchdown pass you know, on the road at Philadelphia and looked like, hey, they're going to roll. They're they seven nothing. They got all this, and all of a sudden. The pick six. Well, the pick six was created by pressure. Who are they going to the draft, Mel? Come on. The offensive line's the, the offensive line's the issue. Shut up, Sproul. The, the offensive line's the issue. I shake us ten minutes. I get two seconds. All right. Uh, you know, I got, I got the, the offensive line is an issue. Jaron Christian from Louisville is a guy who's going to rise up, and McShay eventually yeah. will have him in his first round at some point. And I like Laquan Treadwell. We talk about this, these fifty thousand players that the Vikings have that were great players and great picks. Laquan Treadwell was a first round pick who hasn't done that much yet. They yeah. got to have him step up at some point and be a productive, consistent receiver. And because they've got anything yet. So, you know, we'll see about that wide But I think offensive line uh, would be an area if Jaron Christian from Louisville, I mentioned McGlinchey, I think he could fall into the second round, but Jaron Christian has the arrow pointing way up. Yeah, and I think, you know, both of you pointed this out, but, you know, from putting names on it, you know, last season when we went into free agency, it was scary. The Vikings, the tackle situation was a major problem. They signed Riley Reef from Detroit and Mike Remmers. Nobody thought, oh, wow, they really fixed it there. I mean, we really thought that that was a pile of duct tape on a pretty gaping hole. To their credit, that worked out, I think, better than we thought. But, yeah, I, I do think that both of you pointed it out that offensive line uh, could be at issue. But, uh Hey, we know uh, we know that they're going to have a tough time getting an A on uh, Kuiper's draft board. Guys, let, let's hit the mailbag uh, quickly here. I loved this question just because we know that we know these reports. You guys have certainly heard this. So the Miami Dolphins franchised Jarvis Landry. Well, you can franchise guys because you want to keep them around. You can franchise guys like Washington with Cousins because you're unsure about what to do with them long term. Or heck, you can just trade them. You know the number. 
Every other team in the league knows the number. Todd, I'll let you start here. Mike Morgan at Go Heels 252 asks, if you're the Panthers, would you rather trade for Jarvis Landry or select a pass catcher, catcher in the draft to help Cam Newton? Interesting question. Ugh. It is an interesting question because I think Landry's a, a really good football really player, good. but but we we know the ceiling though too. Right. I mean he he's going to average like nine yards a catch. He doesn't have a massive catch radius, but he gets open. He's tough. He'll block. He does all the little things. I, you'd have to tell me what the trade was for, but I I would tend to think with the money you're going to have to spend, it's probably, and I don't know the Carolinas. Salary cap situation, maybe a two, off the top maybe of my head. a three. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Yeah, I, yeah. I, to me, I I would probably go the route of the of the draft. I know you're with Landry. You know what you're getting, and if that's all you're looking for, and I don't mean that as a complete negative. I mean, if if that's specifically what you're looking for, then then go get it. But I, I can't. I find it hard to believe that the Panthers think that they're a, a Landry away from from being, you know, making a Super Bowl run. So I think you'd rather go with a little bit more upside and get and spend a lot less money on a first or second round wide receiver than than uh give away what you have to give away and, and pay what you have to pay in order to get Landry. Yeah, Landry's been a heck of a player. I mean, he's been you talk about that phenomenal word Todd. I'll say he's been a, you know, Really, really good, excellent, outstanding. In terms receiver. of raw production, he uh, gosh, really I mean, has. And the yeah. average per catch when you're catching inside throws, you're not going to average 15 yards a catch. So it's just the way you're you're dealing with you know, all that traffic and all those bodies and all those defenders. So yeah, he's I, but he's just not. That's what he's just not fast. Well, I mean, no, he's not no. fast. He's never going to be a vertical receiver. Well, he's going to be a guy that's going to be a key element for an offense. And I think yep. you know, to me, is he better than any receiver in this draft by far, by miles? He's better than any receiver in this draft. If I could take. Jarvis Landry and say, I'm going to take one of these other guys. Hey, you know, I'd, I'd take Jarvis Landry in a minute. This is a receiver class. It may be okay. Maybe three years from now, we look at somebody's second, third round picks, and I'm not going to throw out my guy because you'll get a ding, and I don't want to ding on this uh, podcast. But, uh, yeah, but I think you look at, 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 at uh, Landry has more value because this receiver, Todd, there's, you could argue there's only one legit first round receiver in this draft. I would argue that, yep. All right. Lil Codeine at Captain Cody. Codeine, stay off that stuff, kid. Asks, Hey, Mel, you can start this. Why isn't there more noise about Nelson going to the Colts? Obviously top five there. Huge need and a huge talent. Is three just too high for a guard? Or is a guy like Bradley Chubb just considered that much better a prospect? Mel, what do you think? Well, there's two different arguments here. I mean, this, this is a polarizing player in Quentin Nelson. Not because he's not a great player. It's because of the positional need and how, uh, positional importance. And uh, some teams will say, there's no way. And I, I was Ernie Acorsi. I've known Ernie since I was 16, Todd. And he would never – offensive lineman in the first round, let alone a guard. Uh, just an offensive lineman overall in the first round he was reluctant to take. Because he thought, you know, look at the Redskins. Remember the Hogs? How they, you know, Joe Jacoby undrafted. Drafted guy, you know, and you had you know, Bostic and Grimm. Now you had Mark May was a first round pick, but not in the top ten. So I think you look at at the uh, the the philosophy of the team. Now there will be guys that think that now this is another argument, Todd, that Quentin Nelson is the safest pick in this draft at his position. He has the highest grade at his position than any other player does at his position in this draft. That he's the number mm-hmm. one guy on our board in terms of grade, and we're going to get him beyond number one, and it's a steal at that point, and it's a it's a plug 
plug-and-play Pro Bowl guy. I've compared him to Steve Hutchinson, who had a great career after coming out of the Michigan Wolverines program. Hall of Fame guy, Alan Fanica. Problem is, Hutchinson didn't go top ten. He went mid-first, and Fanica went late-first. So it's the it's the value. Cooper, remember Cooper, a guard out of North Carolina, went like sixth mm-hmm. overall. Broke his so, leg, yeah. You know, I mean, to me, you know, it's about that. Now, so, so is somebody going to take him in the top ten? Yes, they are. I'm going to Tampa at seven, Todd. You have a mock coming out in, what, another week or so? Uh, yeah, don't remind me. Yep. Okay. So I don't know where Wait you'll put Nelson. Release. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he'll be in the discussion for Indy. But the, that's where you get to you take the pass rusher in a bad year for pass rushers, a bad year for de- for defensive ends who put their hand on the ground, the, the guys that are going to be not the versatile guys, it can be the hybrids, but a true defensive end, down defensive end, Bradley Chubb and everybody else. So the Apasso and Chubb, when you can find guards, they, uh, guards in this draft will be pretty plentiful again, as they always are. Tackles that can move inside the guard, we'll find some of them. You can get you can get some pretty good guards in the third, fourth round every year. Some go undrafted. So I would think Bradley Chubb would trump a guard with a third pick overall. Yeah, I think, you know, the last time you go back, this is the problem, because he is arguably the best player in the draft. I am second behind Saquon Barkley. Just about everyone in the league has him in their top five in terms of overall players. But you have to look at the history of it. I mean, the last time, Brandon Scherf was he a guard or a tackle. If you call him a tackle, then the last time we had guys go in the top ten at guard was in 2013. And Jonathan Cooper and Chance Warmack both went in that draft to the Cardinals and the uh, Titans, respectively, and, and neither has turned out. I mean, both teams would want that top 10 pickback for what they got for those players. So, uh, you know, it, it's a really difficult argument, but man, you feel really good that you're getting, you're solidifying one of your 11 sp- spots on offense for the next decade with this, this pick in Quentin Nelson. Guys, let's hit one more and then close up shop here. Adam Johnson Bowers. We mentioned this guy earlier on Adam Bomb 1987 asks, what are the impressions of Lorenzo Carter? His question is, with a good combine, could he be go as high as, say, the Titans at number 25 overall? Kuiper, have at it, buddy. This is your guy. I was going to say, I, I was going to just say, Todd, have at it because I've talked enough about Lorenzo Carter. We have you haven't chimed in, so you're obviously skeptical about Carter. So go right ahead. I'm not Todd, skeptical. Explain. What do you? Well, Todd, what I do you think a, about um, like as high as 25? How's that? Could be. I I very well could be. He's a guy who can get pressure on the quarterback, so it, it would not surprise me. I don't have him quite that high. Did his evaluate when it, started on the Georgia defense when I first started my my tape evaluation. You know, right after the season, and and he was one of the first guys I evaluated. I like him as a player. He, I thought, kept getting better and better as as the tape went on, and I think he just he plays the game hard. He has good instincts for the position. He moves around a little bit. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of other good players on that team, including Bellamy and Roquan Smith, and so on and so forth. But you know, he's long. That's one thing you get with him. He he's got 33 and five eight inch. Uh, arms. He's sudden. Uh, he's got outstanding speed, so he can close quickly. He can turn the corner. Uh, I think he needs to get stronger in the lower body. I think, you know, when when he's got to finish with power, sometimes he stalls out, but his effort's really good. He can, he's got some experience dropping, so you have versatility there. I think in a 3-4 outside linebacker or Sam linebacker in a 4-3, he's going to be a, a really good player. His production was good, not exceptional, but you look at the four and a half sacks this past year, it's not, it doesn't jump out, but he did have 17 quarterback pressures. And when you watch the tape, this guy was consistently causing problems. So it, 
if he has a really good workout, a workout that matches what you see from the elite talents in terms of the 10-yard, the, the, the 40, the broad jump, the vertical jump, those explosive numbers, I think Carter's got a chance to sneak into the, the back end of the first round. And, and I, probably worst case is going to be in that second round range. And just to repeat what I had said of you, the people jumping in here, the 455, if he's below that, he's in the first round. So the combine, the 40 time for Lorenzo Carter, well, I think determine whether he is, in fact, the first or an early to mid-second round pick. In Vegas, they are setting the over/under on his forty time at four five five. Thanks to Mel Kiper. That's how big this voice is, folks. Those of you who stick around to the end of the podcast, you get stuff like this. Todd, Mel, happy combine, everybody. We will uh, be back next week to talk about who won, lost, who got richer, who got poorer, and uh, you know about how Todd took the town. But uh, we'll be back next week on the First Draft Podcast. Thanks for listening to First Draft. For more great podcasts, check out ESPN.com slash podcenter.